Welcome to The Buzz with ACT-IAC, your source for the hot topics and top issues affecting the federal technology market. Join us each week to hear insights from government and industry experts, stay informed on the challenges facing the public sector, and gain access to valuable reports and thought leadership. Enjoy. This episode of The Buzz is brought to you by Verizon. Technology provides the tools to meet your mission. Are you ready for the collaboration, productivity, and security needs of today and the future? With the right technology, you can connect citizens and your workforce, regardless of location. Network and unified communication solutions boost agility and improve productivity. Trust Verizon to help protect your valuable network and data, prevent breaches, and mitigate risks. Verizon delivers experience, leadership, and cutting-edge enterprise solutions to keep your network and data secure. Start modernizing your mission-critical technology today. Contact Verizon for more information about federal IT modernization at verizon.com federal. Okay, welcome to The Buzz with ACT-IAC. My name is Todd Hager. I'm the industry chair with the Emerging Technology Community of Interest within ACT-IAC. And I am very pleased to be joined today by Sandy Barsky. Welcome, Sandy. Well, thank you, fearless leader number one. That's what <laughs> I like to call Todd, because without your leadership and all of the act act efforts I've done, we would never have gotten too good. Oh, Sandy, you're, you know, you are underselling yourself. You have been with me every step of the way. You are really the heart and soul of the emerging tech community. And I'm so thrilled that uh, we were able to work together as long as we did. I've learned tons from you and I, I know that uh, that has not stopped. So thank you. Well, thank you too, Todd. So let's get started. I wanna throw some questions at you and get, uh, help our listeners to understand a little bit more about where are you originally from and what drew you to DC? Oh, I love that question because um, I got drawn to D.C. because I was born here. Uh, so I didn't really have a choice in that regard. Loved the city um, and uh, w was born and raised in, in Washington, D.C. So if I pronounce it in a strange way, it's, it's that Washington, D.C. accent. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. Well, how did you first get involved in government service? I was fortunate. Uh, Government service came to me as a avenue suggested by some very good mentors, both in university and then later after I had initially launched my career and found that I was not in the right place in the right position. I, I was doing things where I was reorganizing supply chains inside of a uh, a department store chain, but that wasn't what they wanted me to do. That was something I would get to do 20 years later. And so government offered me something where I can come on board, learn, and bring value sooner to the mission. So you just recently retired from GSA after nearly 40 years of service. Where did you originally start within GSA and how did your career evolve over time? Once again, I, I, I'm fortunate, so I'm going to overuse that word probably a lot. It's all about having opportunity, and that's the most important thing that everyone is afforded, an opportunity to make something. 
and I was given the opportunity to come in as a clerk typist into the government. I entered into the cataloging division at GSA, which was where we coded in the items that would appear in the paper catalog. After a few months in there, I was afforded the opportunity to go into the newly formed CIO office under Ray Hanline, the first CIO for the Federal Supply Service, later to become the Federal Acquisition Service. That's where my career launched. Can you share some of your proudest achievements from your career? My proudest achievements in my career not in life, because there's many others beyond the pale of, That's fair. of the office. There were a lot of things that I was proud of, but I'll start with the relationship with people. I was able to learn how to become a servant leader, and that was something that I had to learn and, and achieve at. And in doing so, that allowed for the other successes. So many things, uh, and, and I start to learn servant leadership from the Federal Supply Service, CIO, the CFO, and others who, when I was just a GS3, was given the opportunity to change the process for how employees filed their travel vouchers. It was a complete reinvention of that process. It had very little to do with technology. Technology enabled it, but it wasn't about technology. It was about process and process flow. And I was given that opportunity. And those process changes that we brought about then are still in place today. There are so many things that I was fortunate to do with so many other people, including, I'm sure you'll ask about this later, ending up at the Veterans Affairs and the National Artificial Intelligence Institute. And when we get there, I, I cannot say enough good things about that whole team and what we were able to accomplish there. Well, let's just jump right in there. So you did recently serve in the Veterans Affairs um, uh, National AI Institute. What are the most important initiatives you see the government working on today, uh, providing how IT has evolved throughout your career? One of the most important initiatives will be all around data. So to quote mm -hmm. someone that we both know very well, brilliant person, Nevin Taylor, you start with data. Mm -hmm. You change data into information. Information you convert into knowledge. Knowledge then you strive to make into understanding. And from there you can do great things. So when we want to talk about artificial intelligence, it's all about large data. And I'm not going to say a, a type of number any longer because they're just getting larger. <laughs> and compute power. So with those large volumes of data, there's a great deal that we can do. The real efforts are in how we can make that data safely I didn't say securely, I, I start with safely available so that we can look at privacy and security also in a Delta for making data available to those in industry and academia as well as elsewhere in government to use it to better achieve the 
outcomes for our veterans in the case of the National Artificial Intelligence Institute at the VA and to meet other mission in regards to the rest of our government and how it serves us, the people, the taxpayers. That's, that's really inspiring, Sandy. What would you recommend to people starting out in government today? Excellent question. And government is such an opportunity for people to start out in. And this is one of the things where people can start in government and now easily transport out into industry and even back into government and bringing in uh, a diversity of knowledge and, and building because it is all about knowledge. Uh, so we start out with data becoming information that's used to acquire knowledge. Well, if you're going to acquire knowledge, you don't want to get it from just one source. You don't want to uh, simply uh, claim the latter inference over and over. What you want to do is broaden your base of, of understanding so that you can get to some level of genius and everybody can get there. So when you enter into government, it's to look for how you can help, always looking for what next you can do, master what is in front of you, and then look for the next area to actualize that. Also look for a diversity of tasks, looking for uh, opportunities to go on detail. And best yet, trying to find that fearless leader out there in ACT-IAC, uh, Todd Hager and others like them in academia, in, in other government agencies, in industry, who you can team up with to work on projects sponsored by a government office that aren't necessarily within your area, but again, broaden your view. The connections you make are always important. Last is, is to remember that you are about yourself, but it's not always about you. So it's about team and finding others and at certain times in these efforts to take a lead and other times to be a servant leader and other times just to lean in and help where you can. I'm gonna pull on that thread a little bit, Sandy. So throughout your career, you've, you've also served as a leader and community builder uh, in ACT-IAC and with emerging technology, community of interest. What drew you to ACT-IAC and what are some of the most impactful projects you've worked on within ACT-IAC? Well, I, I always knew of the great things that ACT-IAC and other such organizations were doing. I didn't, perceived myself as having time at different points of time in my career. There were times when we were putting in 12 plus hour days at the General Services Administration. So I wasn't thinking about anything else beyond that. It was much later, very late in my career when the epiphany happened and it happened thanks to you, Jose, Andrew Vanjani and others forming Fred, I can never forget Fred DeVoe, uh, where Jose was having ACT-IAC support at GSA as a sponsor on blockchain. So coming into ACT-IAC there, I discovered the value. Previous to that, it was the Partnership for Public Service, where I, I'm a senior fellow working on the shared services roundtables that came about from the um, those those had come about from the um, OMB subcommittee on shared services. So I had already a flavor of that. And then going back to when I first met Fred DeVoe, I have to back up now. So this was 
just uh, uh, sort of a, a, a really good circumstance where I got to work with him again because I remembered how brilliant he was at NIST where myself and others contributed to defining what cloud computing is. And we worked where Fred really, uh, under Don Leaf and Robert Bond did some phenomenal work in pulling together all the committees and subcommittees who created those papers. That's great. I'm gonna continue down that path a little bit more. How do you see emerging tech evolving uh, over time to drive government modernization? Oh, that, that, that is an excellent question. Well, emerging tech is always evolving, evolving. That's the concept. We often said in government, actually, here's the secret, new to government as emerging tech. So it's emerged already. And then sometimes there's a concept that you're running the knife edge in government and you're taking a risk. So you can do certain things inside of sandboxes and to adopt things to meet mission. It's important to always balance that as a risk. And so if the risk is to mission, you don't want to do something that will risk your mission. Therefore, sometimes you must adopt something new in order to meet mission. Other times you cannot, and you have to make those very hard decisions that you might have to do a long proof of concept before you introduce it into your mission. On the other hand, it's important to always be aware of what is emerging because with these emerging technologies are opportunities. There's threats, but opportunities. And you must be cognizant of them all the time. So if you are staying the course on that attenuating platform that's narrowing and narrowing, you're not doing the taxpayers right. You have to be aware of what these opportunities are to improve on mission delivery and also to avoid the risk of not adopting or, or um, mitigating for what is changing in the technology environment. Okay, Sandy, let's drill down on the AI initiative at VA. What are some of the examples of the work that you did there? The one example that I would take some time now to speak about would be what has been called in a number of articles, teams. What that is about is AI knowledge certification. It started as an ACT-IAC subcommittee of the AI working group, where Professor Jim Liu from uh, Johns Hopkins University led a group that he put together who published a four-page paper into the ACT-IAC body of knowledge. And that four-page paper had a key element, which was T3, T3 standing for talent, time, and task. What's the talent you're working with? What the task that you have to have them accomplish and in what period of time? And therefore what knowledge is most critical to that and to certify that they have that knowledge is important. This matched up really well with the Navy postgraduate school, which had chunk learning that you don't necessarily in order to have the requisite knowledge to accomplish a certain task in a period of time to go to Harvard for three months, you could actually perhaps read an article in three minutes to fill that gap of knowledge. But first you have to know what that gap is so that you can address this. This is an IT asset management play. Uh, it just involves people, the talent. 
So Sandy, in your work within the emerging technology community of interest, what are some of the deliverables that you felt most proud of? Oh, thanks for asking, uh, Todd. I'm really proud to be part of the ACT-IAC body of knowledge in the uh, emerging technology community of interest. It's brilliant. I think it's, it's a, a library that any federal employee should go to, any leader should go to. In fact, folks in academia as well as uh, industry should uh, make use of that free and open body of knowledge. And in that body of knowledge, we created primers so that we could create a plinth, a basis on which people can have a common understanding. We just put them together so that if someone under, wanted to understand blockchain or they wanted to understand artificial intelligence, they could come there and have a common set of knowledge that was put together crowdsourced by not just five or 10, but by tens of people, by CIOs, federal CIOs and CTOs and others. I remember in the launch and the creation of the artificial intelligence playbook, there were something like, you were in the room, were there something like 36 people around that whiteboard. Many of them were CIOs and CTOs of major departments and agencies. And there were people who weren't. And that's the brilliance of it because it's crowdsourced by people who have both direct knowledge and indirect knowledge of what we were attempting to, to build off of. What we created were the primers and then the playbook. And the playbook is significant. All the playbooks are significant because they're based on the General Services Administration's M3, which stands for Modernization, Migration, and Management Framework. We used an established, known U.S. federal government. It came out of the Office of Government-Wide Policy. We used that framework to build all of our playbooks. And then we went and... A step further, that's really significant. We built the ethical application of artificial intelligence framework. And again, it's a framework. It doesn't tell you do this. It says this is the architecture. This is the, the structure that you can hang your own off of what works best for your organization. Uh, you know, I can go on and on about this, but ACT-IA gave us all a platform. And again, now there's a library. I, I, I'm really flattered when I see articles in Forbes magazine, multiple articles promoting these primers playbooks and the EAAI, as we call it, the ethical application of artificial intelligence framework. Okay, Sandy, throughout your career, you have remained so passionate, driven, and committed to government service. It's apparent here in our conversation. What's next for you? Well, <laughs> next sort of happened. So uh, I, what, what I'm going through is this process called retirement, and it's a brilliant process. It didn't seem to happen as though a single point in time. It, it, it seems to be a process that's going on. And it's amazing because I, it's fun. At the same time, I actually was only retired for 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, I was retired for 24 hours and, and I would be too anxious if I stayed retired much longer. So I went to work for uh, Oracle of America uh, after 24 hours of retirement from the federal government. So Sandy, I was 
thrilled to be included in your retirement party. And I was absolutely intimidated by the people who were on there. There were well over 100 people there. Jamie Braskin, the congressman from Maryland there, it was, uh, it was such a great event. Um, how did you feel about the, all of the, uh, the accolades and information that you heard there? Humbled. <laughs> I felt grateful, humbled, and I couldn't read any of the text messages that were popping up on the screen because, um, as my, my wife said, my eyes were misting up. Uh, so uh, it w was meaningful. And I mentioned earlier uh, that it's been this retirement process. I have to be incredibly grateful to the General Services Administration, especially the, the director of IT products, Beth Poles, who put that together. Uh, I will say, though, that Beth sent me a whole bunch of like party favors to uh, put around me uh, for the video camera to pick up on. And that meant that I had to get up at around four in the morning to start to assemble them because I had to do that themselves and they didn't come with instructions. So being an IT guy, if, if it's not something technical that I can press a button on, but actually had to physically, manually construct, it took a while. Sandy, this has been great. I, I can't. Uh, say enough how important your friendship has been for me for uh, the past six years. And I hope that uh, we stay friends through my retirement and beyond. <laughs> so <laughs> but Sandy, you're inspiring. Uh, I really appreciate your time today and wish you the best of luck in your uh, in, in the next steps that you've got going on, which sound very interesting. So thank you, Sandy. Thank you for all your service and thank you for your time today. And that's a wrap on The Buzz with ACT-IAC. Join us next week for more hot topics and top issues affecting the federal technology market. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on Twitter at ACT-IAC. More information about today's show can be found in the episode notes. For more insights, visit www.actiac.org. Thanks for listening.